Welcome to SickCast, brought to you by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path. Hello, Guru Fateh. Welcome to the SickCast. My name is Manpreet Singh. Thank you for being with us today. Today, we have a very special, special episode. We're going to get to that in a minute. I want to introduce you uh, to our two Sikri uh, speakers uh, on the podcast today, Harinder Singh and Asha Kaur. Harinder and Asha, thanks for being with us today. Oh, pleasure to be here. Thank you. And our very, very special guest on the podcast today, which we're going to talk about uh the black lives matter movement is corey winchester corey thanks a lot for taking some time out and being on the podcast today uh thank you i'm really humbled to be a part of this space so corey uh the listeners know asha the listeners know harinder uh before we get into it tell us a little bit about yourself your background and what you've been up to yeah so uh i was born and raised in in philly um and I left Philly at the age of 18 to go to college uh, with the dream to become an educator. Um, and I was able to fulfill that with help of um, my family and uh, elders um, and ancestors who came before me um, to help realize a, a dream, uh, I think, um, which is really important. Uh, I found that there were spaces within our world um, where folks like me who are black and male um, didn't have these lived experiences that I thought uh, growing up learning the history of the United States that we should have um, and that's really what attracted me to become a teacher um, and I've been doing that for 10 years uh, Asha was actually one of my former students um, and uh, one thing that I think is really important about uh, this type of work that we do in community is that our roles are expanding. So uh, Asha is a teacher uh, and I've learned quite a bit from, from her over the years. Um, so I'm really humbled to, again, be a part of this space uh, and to share. I've learned quite a bit uh, in my years of, of teaching. Great, great. No, we're uh, glad you're on the podcast. So. You know, let's get into it. We know what's happening across America. I mean, this podcast is worldwide, but uh, in America, everyone's seeing the news of all these protests happening because of uh, the horrible death of uh, George Floyd. And so uh, I'll come to you first, Corey, and then we'll get Harinder and uh, Asha to chime in. But when you saw these protests happening, because they have happened before, but not at this scale, and I guess George uh, Floyd's death was a tipping point, and it's all over the country. It's united so many people. Uh, you know, no one's even thinking about COVID right now. Everyone's out on the streets. So when you saw the protests become this big and and happening at a scale like this, what was going through your mind? Well, I, I got to say there were there were two. I think there are two pivotal like deaths that have impacted me. Um, the first one was Michael Brown. Um, and then the second one is George Floyd. Um, and the reason being, uh, is because after the officer that murdered, uh, Michael Brown was not indicted, my mom called me 
and she was in tears and she said, there's nothing I can do to protect you. And I think that reality is something that has stayed with me since that phone call um, back in 2014 or 2015, I don't remember. That was what I think made that particular instance really stand out to me. And I say that because the same thing happened with this particular death, um, with George Floyd's death. And she had posted on um, Instagram. My mom is on all the socials. She got a TikTok, like she, she, <laughs> but uh, she posted on, I think it was Facebook. And she, she was basically like, as a, as a, as a black mother, um, this is really hard for me. I think I've been surprised and happy by the responses that I've seen from like the international community. And, um, you know, I, I think we have a really important decision to make um, as a society, as a nation globally about whether or not we're going to address anti-Blackness. Great. I want to get uh, uh, Harinder and Asha's quick thoughts on this too, and then I want to turn the conversation into education and uh, what could we do on that angle. So. Uh, Arinda, first, what were your thoughts when you saw this these protests becoming big? And just like Corey said, even worldwide. Yeah, you know, so this is interesting. So there is COVID happening right now, but I was thinking actually two things. I was thinking this is a week where six have gone through a 1984 genocide campaign against them, where every Sikh was a target by the Indian government. And at a personal level, so it's that week, so we are looking at deaths and deaths which are not natural, deaths which are targeted, deaths which are othering a particular minority. In America, it was happening by race. In India at the time, it was happening to Sikhs by religious belief. And us leaving, I remember my dad. I did not have too many conversations with him when this happened, but we left the country uh, within two years. and. One of the things which he said, which I think many Sikhs felt, you know, those who served the country, in this case, I'll come to America elsewhere, like, this is not my country anymore. People who I engage with, they are coming to kill me and put my house on fire. So, you know, it's very interesting. I was thinking about that at a personal level. And then I suddenly came to Public Enemy because that's my introduction to uh, activism from a black perspective, you know, from African-American perspective. So I come to this country on July 4th, believe it or not, on 19, in 1986. And, you know, I have this understanding of America sitting in India that this is the home of the brave. And I live with that and I appreciated that because nobody was targeting me and killing me. But within five years of getting to college in this country, and staying with African-Americans, learning about public enemy, and this whole fear of the black planet comes into being. And this whole, you know, at some point, what I started to realize this week as well is, I was actually enjoying the white privilege for the first few years. And what was happening was, because there is a model minority myth about six and Asians at large, as if we are the only hard workers and the smart workers in the world, but the people of color, especially Asian community, 
must acknowledge like I know that I rode that wave because that white privilege was siding with me. And I think this is a time for Sikh community uh, in America, as well as uh, the larger people of color within their South Asian community I'm going to target, who are actually exploiting, exploiting this and have been exploiting this to at least acknowledge that we are part of that white privilege and we need to uh, identify and create allyship with the African-American community and the brown communities and the indigenous communities and the LGBTIA plus communities, but we'll focus on the African-American for now. Yeah, with the, this country is built on a settler colonial mm -hmm. model. So when people come into it, when people immigrate into it, where are they being assimilated into? You know, and for us, it was, we were really assimilated along the track of whiteness. You know, we weren't assimilating into the black experience or the indigenous experience of what America is. All right, thank you guys for that, for those thoughts. Um, let's get into education uh, a, a little bit because Corey, you're a teaching policy fellow. We got Harinder here, who's a senior fellow at the Institute. And I was reading your profile just before the podcast and you're into student leadership development. Yes. And so, what, so when you see these protests and when you see all the harm that, that's happening to uh, communities of color, minorities, um, how do you teach students this? How do you teach students to do the right thing? Because we know there's some wrong things happening, no matter what conspiracies you believe, which I believe in a lot, by the way, but no matter what you believe and who's doing those, the lootings and, and things, how do you bring up the next generation to do the right thing and to make sure and, you know, um, give them like Harinder mentioned Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and give those ideas going forward uh, to actually make some basically policy changes and institutional change. Yeah, uh, you know, there's a there's a saying that I, I start with in the beginning of, of my classes, no history, no self, no history, no self. I mean, there's a difference between, you know, each of those, the first one, K-N-O-W, the second one, no, N-O, right? So um, when we know our history, we have a, a solid understanding of self. And, um, you know, the function of schools in the United States hasn't been this uh, benevolent, um, you know, image that I think we uh, believe it to be. And that's, I think that's, again, that goes back to what uh, encouraged me to become an educator. Cause I was like, oh, well, they keep saying, if you if you have a good education and everything's gonna be all right. And that was a, that was a false reality and false narrative that, you know, I had to unlearn um, very quickly. One of the books that I recommend, cause I'm gonna do some, some, uh, some reading here. We got homework y'all. Um, <laughs> A, a book by uh, Bettina Love. It's called We Want to Do More Than Survive, Abolitionist Teaching and the Pursuit of Educational Freedom. And I think this book has gotten me to think about, um, you know, what was the purpose of education as, a, as an institution? Um, it was meant, you know, going back to some of the things that Asha mentioned, um, like it, it was, it's predicated on, on settler colonial, colonialism. It's predicated on white supremacy. I think we have to begin to understand what the function of our education systems were in the United States and how they're continuing to manifest itself. If we're not disrupting that, then we're going to continue to see, you know, some of this problematic ideology, right? Um, one of the reasons why we are seeing, I think, a lot of uh, frustration in, in, in schools, especially in public schools, is because they teach compliance. They teach survival. 
they don't teach people to dream they don't teach people to imagine right i have so many students who are just like i'm tired of school i don't want to do this i don't want to read i don't want to read this book right so we have to stop you know putting this idea out there that young folks are going to save us oh we got to do work too and we have to work with young folks um yeah i was really excited to have asha join on this call because i think this speaks to the the volume of what this intergenerational relationship is you know as much as asha may have learned from me as a sophomore in high school i've learned as much and more from asha in you know while asha was a student in my class and in the years after right you're the first teacher that let me present on sick issues in class uh when our textbook explicitly said that six were a part of hinduism wow. our textbook explicitly said wow. that and i got upset and you said well why don't you teach the class for the day that was that was life changing for me so yeah and you know i i was learning arendra <laughs> <laughs> i liked what he said about compliance and disruption because i definitely feel that about public schools you know they're just having you sit at a desk do what the teacher tells you and then you go to your job and you sit at a cubicle and you do what your boss tells you for the next 30 40 years so kind of goes together but and i know we're you're trying to change that too with your uh um with all the stuff you do at the institute with compliance and disruption so give me the sick angle towards this well let me actually build on this education piece which cory was mentioning and i think we have education and literacy and degrees confused you know the the educate and this is so much true in the south asian community which six are the large part of the sick community is part of the south asian community in that sense because you know we get a degrees and we get a license to experience that privilege because you end up living in a particular zip codes then that's what it translates to so i think this is where gurudana comes in the founder of sikhi right where he says ahran mat ved hathiyar that literally he says the ultimate weapon to carry with you is knowledge and education has always been about can we do the right knowledge transfer so you can confront and address what is happening in front of you so in sciences there is a disruption is always welcome in technology disruption is always welcome but we are not welcoming disruptions in social sciences or culture or how structural problem of policing you know things of that nature you know the uh, this thing about uh, kids uh, and the agency development uh, and kids getting bored and i hear the same things as well but i think there is something else which we can offer there which essentially is it's an additive thing i'm i'm agreeing with you cory and the additive thing is that you know we actually are not allowing them to disrupt our own households thinking as well and this mm-hmm. is where gurudanak is important because he did not follow the way of his dad you know and just because i did it that way this is how i survived or how i thrived does not mean that's what my son or daughter wants to do and does not mean this is what the whole community wants to do in fact when we don't allow that within our own household within our own organizations within our own communities then you are actually not allowing even the possibility of a structural change i and 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 i'm going to leave it at that but i do want to mention one sick correlation here because my you know to me it's important that six and the south asian understand this you know we are sitting here with all our rights today because of what happened in 1960s and what african american community delivered from a civil rights angle 
none of us did anything for that. None of us did anything for that. So we know we ride not just the white privilege, we also ride the civil rights movement's privileges granted to us as minorities. And I think it's time we actually work with all communities, here specifically with African-American community, because everything they have done for us is how we have our rights in this country. Yeah, I, I, I want to add uh, two things to that. When you were talking about like the disruption of, of knowledge uh, systems, uh, and I think one of the things that has been uh, central to our education is just centering Western beliefs, Western ideologies. Um, and there are many ways of knowing um, and being and existing um, that have been erased from our, our education systems. Yeah, but I, I'll add in, and I would like Asha to add in from her perspective, but I want to add in one thing. I think you just brought, brought a word which is talked about in each community, this assimilation. And I'm one of the proponents of, well, we need to have, if we have to go back to learn from the African-American experience in 1850s and 1860s, you know, do we want to assimilate or do we want to integrate? Because there is, you know, America's stereotypes about melting pots and salad bowls <laughs> and the mosaic or the orchestra. I've heard all those analogies, you know, but assimilation is not the answer. And assimilation is what keeps getting demanded by each generation including within the communities, including within the Sikh community many a time. And I think the answer more is integration, which requires more nuancing, uh, which is how do we add to the existing culture, the existing norms, rather than accepting the norms which are being thrown upon us. I, I think I've noticed, um, I mean, this is kind of a very prevalent narrative that, oh, well, you know, I we get the cause, but it's, it's too dangerous, there's too many consequences to doing what's right and speaking up, but that should make us question what is the social contract we've agreed to and why do we have to do this at this cost? So it's interesting, you hear people who are urging oftentimes because of hierarchical authority in families, their children not to rock the boat, not to go do that because they're scared for you. You know, they have a fear that some there will be backlash. So that it, that's an admission that the system is broken because to do the right thing has these consequences. So I think it's time to throw the whole contract out then, you know? I mean, assimilation comes, it's violent. I mean, it comes at a cost and people are admitting that when they're speaking to their kids in this way. I mean, the, it's, it's right there. The truth is, the truth exists whether people want to accept it or not. And that's something Sikhi has taught me. Uh, the truth is there. It's real. It's tangible. It's whether or not people are ready to face it. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to, to add to that um, because I actually, I actually don't even know if I want to be a part of this like additive narrative to what the United States is because that additive narrative has never included me in it. You know, it never, it never once was supposed to do that. You know, in order for this nation to have existed, it was predicated on stolen lands, broken treaties of indigenous people, and the labor of of uh, what the United States is in, in Western ideas has, has created as black people. Like, just there's so much um, that I think has to be thrown out. I mean, I'm in I'm in favor of just throwing the contract out, starting over again. Um, uh, you know. 
Uh, that's that's just me. I, I would hope that there are other folks that that realize that um, that that truth that Asha was was speaking about. And we're we're seeing positions that have never been taken seriously on a broad level being brought to the front of the conversation. Finally, the conversation now is about like radical defunding, which was not taken seriously a few years ago, and I think Minneapolis changed that. Well, Minneapolis changed that, and. To change the conversation. Yeah, we will see how much Keith Allison is allowed to do, even as an attorney general. That's true. As a black man, as a Muslim man, who's working under a particular system, right? And so you work with the system to bring changes. In fact, this is where I would, you know, I hear both Asha and uh, Corey, both of you, on what you are saying about throwing the social contract. But this is not how governance works. The governance is you still got to continue with life, because. Something else might get thrown us, us, you know, onto us and the week. Maybe there is a trade war. Maybe there is next level of uh, uh, disease. So we still have to have some governance. I think in that governance is what I would say uh, that we need to push the envelope. This is what I have learned that the activist needs to keep pushing and keep asking for resetting or not even the renegotiation, but redrafting of things. But at the same time, the changes come in structures when you do push for that from outside and then people in the inside are looking at that, are understanding that, and they still have to govern and still not create chaos, still got to provide safeties. And how do you bring the structural sea change within it through the policies? You know, there's an acknowledgement of the multiplicity of identities that we bring to the table. Um, however, I feel like when we when we begin to put a, a limit on what we believe is possible, then we stop dreaming and we stop imagining. No, Corey, so no, not at all. I'm not saying we put a limit to dreaming. I'm saying what is implementable and become real, right? And this is where I was saying, what's the alternative? If you have nothing, you we have chaos. So what I'm saying is we must understand and dream big, but that doesn't mean that's the only component of the reality change. Because what and, and this is where I think we need to also understand not just the uh, white man's burden, you know, because there is white consciousness. Uh, I don't mean in the white supremacy sense, but in terms of this burden sense, just like there's an allyship needed there as well, you know. And I see this in other countries, in uh, what needed to happen in South Africa, what is still waiting to happen in India with so many communities that once you have allyship with part of the community which has been in privilege and those parts you work with in order to bring these changes is what i'm after but we have a cosmos and an ecosystem of multiple communities i think i think what i had heard at least initially in in some of what you were saying earlier is I, was that like a pragmatism about the reality um which i i think is important to acknowledge um, but, you know, I guess I was hoping that in that pragmatism, we didn't lose sight of, you know, how we can dream big and how things actually can change with the quickness. Um, like literally, we, we saw countries shut down. We've never seen countries shut down. And that happened overnight. So to, mm -hmm. to think that something isn't necessarily possible or pragmatic like how we're we going to close schools well they closed schools for two months during the school year 
we we still have to be pragmatic but we can also um you know you know dream big and make sure that in our dreaming big and i am taking this from um you know my my advisor my mentor uh shireen um we got a plan for the day after the revolution yeah, absolutely so there is in fact this is where i wanted to end up with it is all about being prepared being prepared to do 100% change but be but that preparedness requires a lot of work it it actually requires us to have the alternatives mm -hmm. ready yeah. uh, alternatives i say because you don't know you know when the decisions are being made are we so you know all these movements create a space so you can sit on the table as an equal partner when decisions are being made but if you are not there and not prepared then we lose uh, opportunity of a generation as well people if you stay ready you ain't got to get ready people been ready <laughs> people been ready i think in terms of responses and in terms of anger in terms of demanding change and i think we need some of the policy makers you know for example you know we just heard from a former president as well right of barack obama and he was a president for 8 years and you know within 2 years in office how many changes he was able to bring in not much so once you are in the system you this pragmatism the restrictions or preparedness the allyship carrying you know the white privilege with you all those become very very real and that's what i'm referring to yeah. so now we have a space where where this has never happened you know that with the exception of few white men who are all the president's men other white men in positions of power are saying things which you have never heard before right. you know i think this is a moment to actually go ask for those regulations and those policy changes um you can you know we can mobilize in ways that we need to around local elections right um i think that is one of the biggest areas that we are you know slacking because those are the folks who are making policy uh the folks that are out here um you know destroying these big capitalist businesses are are doing it's disruption it's it's saying you know you know if you're not paying attention to my life i know you're going to pay attention to you know the money because that apparently has more value to you so we're going to go for those things until you wake up and start paying attention to the fact that my life is here and that my life matters and on uh, yeah that that element uh, i was going to say on the flip side you kind of see how threatened a lot of law enforcement is by people serving each other i mean if you guys saw the videos out of ashville where the police totally destroyed a you know city approved medic tent or you know these are this community care becomes is being perceived as a threat so that kind of puts a mirror to what we're what we're looking at here right and i think there are many dimensions to that i from from uh, from a perspective of again i'm going to come back to what i would like to share with the sick community when they are trying to do and look at all these things to not allow not allow any one or few incidents to create noises to not understand the larger issue because what happens is the macro view gets lost and this is how you get digressed from the larger issue and i say this about 1984 and i correlate with that you know what one sikh or few sikhs did does not mean it does not justify the act of the state which was on the whole community so i think 
those incidents teach us many things. They teach us about, you know, uh, psychological traumas as well, attentions and things of that nature. But at the same time, the larger issue is very, very clear. There is no denying of that. When the Rush Limbaugh's of the world end up saying what happened in Minneapolis is unacceptable, that should tell you something, that that incident has created, again, they might not agree to some of the policy changes, but something on a video got captured where, and this is important, where the Asian community and the Arab community and the Muslim community also is forced to think about when we say that we want to be allowed to serve in the police academies or join the police academy or the US Armed Forces, do you also realize what you are becoming? Or are you going to also become one of the change agents within that industry where you get to become that wipe, you know, uh, what the corporate world now calls uh, uh, people who are the wipe checkers, you know? It's will you invoke what the justice element is or will you just invoke the code because codes have been compromised? So I know this conversation could go on for a long time. I'm enjoying it very much. Um, but quickly, since we're running out of time, uh, so everyone's coming together in America for this. People are protesting. People are praying. What could we do now to go beyond protest and prayer? And, and Corey, I want you to answer this first. You know, I, I loved what Killer Mike, he came on like the next day or something like that. And he's like, vote, just go vote and vote the people you don't like and who do this to you out of office. So is voting the next thing? Is that what we need to get the next movement going to people to vote these people out? I mean, I think it's a it's a really complicated, you know, <laughs> it's a complicated thing. What what are the next steps? Um to solely say vote um, without really talking about voter suppression or the fact that a majority of our voting electorate is white and that our voting systems are really set up to privilege the stability of the current system. Like when we look at gerrymandering policies, um, when we look at, you know, um, how particular votes matter more in certain in certain areas like for example if you look at senate um senate isn't really going to shift and change unless uh folks move <laughs> um you know i'm not planning on moving to nebraska uh to increase uh you know some just non-republican votes out there <laughs> you, you know um but uh you know i think it's it's so much more complicated than that voting becomes a part of it but really really what i think we need is this continuation um we're seeing a lot of people now you know uh, a week and a half after this that are you know up in arms but what's going to happen in a month from now who's going to be tired i don't get to be tired because this is my reality so what i would want people to do is continue to to make noise Right. We, we just can't afford to let this particular momentum die. Um, and I think thinking about those levels we were talking about earlier, like what are you going to read and reflect on yourself? What are two, three organizations in your immediate area that are doing work? Um, and then then you can get into the bigger stuff and even with voting. OK, what about your local elections? Think about those. What are the policies on the table there? And 
voting on a national level becomes that's kind of the highest level element um but it has to come with all these other things and and to Corey's point how are you going to involve yourself in um fair voting policies in your immediate area because that's also where the local has a big impact in kind of rectifying a lot of those issues but i really encourage people to look into organizations in the area and, and those organizations will help carry you um when you get tired or lost or we need to build momentum um and it, and it doesn't have to be obvious stuff it can be there's a lot of organizations trying to feed people you know that may not be directly tied but it, it actually is completely integral to the systems that we're facing and the systems of violence that are trying to be undone so so i hear that it's very complex and there is no one thing which can be done but i'm gonna actually address the sick audience here more people who are listening to this you know it's really to me the word is allyship at this time for us and i'm gonna invoke sikhi into it we are constantly taught by the founder of the faith that we exist here and to us in this existence on this earth is about identifying with underprivileged and people with no privileges so people who are downtrodden people who are rights are being violated and we are actually told that you will only experience grace when you identify with them so you become the partners with them in order to elevate their rights and their dignities and their freedoms with that in mind you know our dictum is very clear you know uh, we are supposed to uh, use all three means available to us so to the sick community in america i would say and globally you know including those who are sitting in punjab and want to identify with this it's very simple you know use all the intellect you have depending on if you are a lawyer to a technologist to uh, people who run aid and relief work use all your intellect all your physical strength and all your money and a portion of that needs to go towards black lives matter or similar campaigns they can be from a legal angle they can be from supporting the black arts you know new york met put out a statement but they have never had a performance by a black <laughs> composer so you know there are things like that which need to change so what i'm saying is uh, we need to take part of our the swans you know that 10% we give and we need to spend part of that 10% right now intellectually physically by showing up intellectually by contributing and monetarily by supporting things which will help bring uh, not just hope but some sort of a change in policies in america i appreciate everybody's time today arinder asha thanks for coming on cory thanks for being on this podcast we really appreciate your thoughts and insights into what's happening in america today and hopefully we'll talk talk again soon so thank you guys thanks for uh, being here sounds good yeah, thank you stay strong bye bye thank you Hi, my name is Sean, and I'm the content producer here with Sikri. I think it's fair to say all of us at the Sikh Research Institute have been looking at the situation in the States, and have been doing a lot of reflecting. There's one moment in this episode that especially sticks out to me, it was when Harinder Singh said this, 
use all your intellect, all your physical strength and all your money and a portion of that needs to go towards Black Lives Matter or similar campaigns. They can be from a legal angle, they can be from supporting the black arts. Uh, we need to take part of our the swans, you know, the 10% we give, and we need to spend part of the 10% right now. It's in that spirit that we would like to share a piece of music that's sort of become a rallying cry for the whole Black Lives Matter movement right now. It's a short song, sung by 12-year-old Kedron Bryant, written by his mother, Janetta Bryant, from Jacksonville, Florida. It's called, I Just Wanna Live. Have a listen. I'm a young black man Doing all that I can To stand Oh, but when I look around And I see what's being done to my kind Every day I'm being hunted to this prey My people don't want no trouble We've had enough struggle I just want to live, God protect me, I just want to live, I just want to live. You are listening to Sick Cast by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path.